Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Six Degrees of Associations. I'm your host, Lucas McCann. With me today, Sarah Hussey, Executive Director at Allegheny County Medical Society. I typically like to just kind of turn over the mic, introduce yourself, Sarah. Tell us a little bit about maybe how you found associations and your current role. I'm happy to be here. This is a very nice experience for me to be talking about associations in general. Um, typically, I feel like when I'm on a podcast, I'm talking about the very specific industry that I work for. So it's nice to kind of be talking about the broader association. We're taking community. a break from the specifics. Yeah. Yeah, it's nice. Um, I started, I went to um, a university in Pittsburgh called Duquesne University, which some people know, some people don't. Um, I went to school for marketing and I went to school for political science. And I thought that I was going to be Olivia Pope uh, before she was even a thing. Um, okay, you're going to come to Washington? <laughs> yeah. Like I thought that that's what I was going to do or be a wedding planner. Okay. So I did get an internship in college working for an association um, as their event intern, um, prepping for the fact that I was going to be maybe an event, event planner. And then I did go into event planning. Um, okay. And I realized that um, planning weddings is tough. It's yeah. a lot of weekend work. Um, mm -hmm. It's a lot of yep. dealing with a very tough uh, group of people sometimes, moms and brides and <clears throat> yeah, mothers of the brides. Brides a word for a reason. I mean, yeah. yeah. It was a very uh, stressful situation. And it just so happened that it, a position opened up at the association that I was interning for in college. Um, and so the, the girl who I had passed the internship onto was working there full time. She messaged me and said, I think you should apply for this job. Um, the interview process was super short because they already knew me and it was great. So I, I jumped in there and then I worked at that um, organization for 12 years. So uh, I was there up until I started um, in my new role a couple a year and a half ago. Um, and I really worked my way through that organization, starting in administration, um, a couple management positions, and then eventually to the vice president level um, before moving on. But associations were not necessarily, I feel like most people would say they like weren't in their roadmap. Like I was never waking up when I was eight years old being like, I want to be an association executive director. No, that's not, that's not unique to you, but no. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Cause there, there's not even, there wasn't even an, uh, a major for that. It was, it was just business or marketing. Yeah. So, there is um, now. so that's, yeah, I just like fell into, I just kind of fell into it. Just like I think most people would say. Um, and then here I am and now I'm the executive director of a medical society. So I, I want to, we'll come back to your story, uh, your hiring story. Cause let's yeah. share. Um, so what, you know, what kept you in associations? Like you got in, somebody said, Hey, come check this world out. Um, and then you were there for 12 years. Like what, what specifically drew you to the, was it the kind of work? Was it the people? I like the greater good. And so at that point I was working for the Pennsylvania Institute of CPAs. So working um, with about 20,000 members and it was just such a cool experience to constantly be like meeting different people, hearing their stories, learning about how they cared about the work that they were doing and knowing that the work that I was doing was even at an administrative level, helping to do something greater in the world. Like we were providing education for CPAs. And at that time, it was right after the financial crisis. I had come into that job maybe 2010. So we were kind of still in that whole world where things were crazy. 
And it's, I mean, it's still like that sometimes. It's a new kind of crazy right now. Yeah, it is. It's a new kind of crazy. Um, but I think it was just the knowing that the work that I was doing actually made a difference. Um, and then as I started to move along in that organization, there was just always something. There was always something more that I was chipping away at and a bigger project and a bigger deal and um, more people that I was able to meet and understand how the impact continued to grow. Um, and then certainly jumping into the medical world has been even more significant for me because, you know, working with physicians is um, is a much more I mean, there's, it's a, it's an intense industry. Um, and so there's a lot of emotions that go into the work that you do. Yeah. That's, we had mentioned you're not directly saving the babies, but you're, <laughs> you're, you're saving, you're helping the people who are saving the babies, right? Like, yes. That's my tagline to any team member when we get stressed out is like, we're not saving babies here. Um, but I always joke with them now that I have a new team with the medical society that it's like, a little bit closer to saving babies than I was like in CPA world. That's fair. <laughs> I'm still yeah. not saving the babies, but we're much more like maybe like you know right, right behind them, away. right behind them, yeah. supporting them. They're they're, oh, yeah. they're with the baby. You're right behind the person that's with the baby. That makes sense. Yes, yeah, for sure. So uh, tell us, just tell us the hiring story. Like, let's oh, see, yeah. like, how did you how did you make that leap? What how did that go? I mean, you're going from I believe a VP level at the time going into a new world, but into a new title and the whole deal. Um, so I worked with a fantastic boss at the PICPA. Um, she was my boss for 10 years and I always just thought I'm not, cause she was, she's still, she's still young. She's a little bit older than me, but, um, I, I just figured, man, there's a long way to go before I get into that role. Cause she's not leaving. She was the VP of membership. Um, and then just through, you know, COVID, when everybody's lives started shifting and adjusting, she ended up leaving, which was a huge shock to everybody. And so I jumped into her role and I, you know, same way we were just discussing, like I was ready for it. And my organization knew that probably hiring externally wasn't a good fit. So I took the vice president role and I had every intention. I had the same day that they offered me the job. I also found out I was pregnant with my second child. Um, so everybody, all of my friends, all of my family were buying me like amazing bottles of champagne and bottles of wine. And I was just like, shoot, I can't even enjoy this. Um, but yeah, but my husband did buy me a huge cake. So I appreciated that. Um, but my intention was I'm staying here forever. You know, this is like the job I had always hoped for. I didn't think I would ever be able to like get into this role. Um, and then, um, about a year later, I had just had my son and I was on maternity leave and a recruiter reached out to me about the executive director position with the medical society. And I told my husband, you know, I don't know, like, I feel like this is a long shot for me. I had total imposter syndrome. I was like, I don't know, this is, I'm not going to like, I'm not even qualified for this. Um, like everybody says, you know, like, I don't know. I just, in my head, I wasn't there. Um, Every, everybody has that imposter syndrome on some level. Yeah. It's there. It yeah. And, you honest. know, I had done research on the organization and I saw like who their previous executive director was. He was like, you know, been there for 40 years, white man, like well-loved, just like such a great guy. And then there was like a, a CEO who had been there for a couple of years in the in-between, but I, whatever, I went through the process. I was on maternity leave. I had some time on my hands 
for anybody who like doesn't, I think having an infant is way easier than having, I have a two-year-old now and he's crazy. So that time was much more freeing. Yeah. They're mobile. So I was like, like, the word no, that's a difference. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I napped for like three hours. Yeah. Um, so I worked on my resume, I submitted it and I just kind of thought, whatever, it's fine. And then she called me and she was like, they want to interview you. So I did the screening interview. Um, and at that point I did not tell them I was on maternity leave. I didn't, you know, it was not, it wasn't like that yet. I wasn't ready to like disclose what my life was like. Um, I got the second interview. So I do the second interview. Um, same thing. I didn't really like mention my family life. Um, and then I had already been back to work at that point. I went back to my, my job and, you know, hadn't heard back from them in a while. Um, but they're physicians. So like this process took a really long time. Um, it was, you know, they just, it was a hard time getting them together for meetings and the hiring committee. And I just kind of thought, nah, I didn't make the cut. Finally, they call me and they had said, we want to bring you in for the final interview. I was like, okay. Uh, okay. So I was like, I don't even know. You know, at that point I'm like, what's even happening? How do I approach this though? And in my head, I started thinking, I don't want to go into this. I have a great job. The best place to be when you are getting a new job is a job that you love. And it's okay if you don't get it. Because for me, it was like, I'm still in a great position. I love my organization. I'm happy. It's okay. I just went in with full transparency to that interview. Um, I had to do a presentation. It was in front of, you know, all of these physicians in person. First time I had really been in person in a meeting in a really long time. Um, and the very first thing that I did was I pulled up a picture of my newborn maternity, not maternity issue, uh, newborn pictures. It was my husband, my young daughter, who's now eight, but she was six at the time and a baby. And I introduced myself and I said, you know, before we get started, I just want to like tell you the most important part of my life. And I showed them my family and I said, this is my son Bowen. And he is, you know, three and a half months old. And they all kind of looked at it and the hiring committee was six white males and one female. Um, and so they were, they didn't, they didn't do anything, you know, stone cold, whatever. But I look in the back and I see the recruiter looking at me like, what's happening? What are you doing? So I, but then I kill the presentation. Like it's so organized. My PowerPoint is like, great. Like I clearly have an association background. And I think what they were trying to decide between was like, do we bring in somebody who knows a ton about the medical industry or do we bring in someone who knows how to manage an association? And I think the previous time they had gone the other direction and it, it really didn't pan out. So I think that they really were impressed by my background in association management. So I go home, I'm getting, you know, getting back to my regular life and the recruiter calls me and she said, I'm not going to lie to you. When you pulled up that picture of your family, I thought, oh my gosh, like, no chance because she's like, not because I she's like not because I'm not supportive of that. It's because I just, you know, have this like thought in my head. Oh, like they're going to be anxious about this. She was like, without a doubt, they, they selected you as their candidate. And it was because they a, appreciated my like transparency about it right out of the gate. And that point, you know, once it got very serious about the possibility of me taking that position, but also because I think they recognize that like, I, I'm the same as the people that they want to bring into membership. I'm not an old, older white male. I'm a young female with a family who's going to be balancing like career and family and activities and hobbies and all of these other things. And they want that to be something that I can kind of bring into the fold at this organization and help 
bring along the new members who are really the future of the organization. Um, so they offered me the job and I was just like, how, (laughs) you know, I like, I really doubted that I was like ready or that they thought I would be ready. But then once they offered it to me an immediate light bulb, I was like, Oh, I'm absolutely ready for this. Like I have been training for this for 12 years. I feel really confident and, um, I instantly felt though very sad because I loved the organization that I was working for. I had worked with my team for like 12 years. Um, But it was also an opportunity for me to be the first female executive director of this, you know, physicians for a really long time were a male dominated industry. So they're really taking a chance on me. And I loved that. So here I am. (laughs) I love the story, like for so many reasons. One, it's just the authenticity that you took to that series of interviews. And ultimately that is what it's got to be so affirming when you just put your, you know, your true self out there, if you will, I can, the statement is overplayed, but it's true, right? That, that's, that was who you were and you put it out there and that's really what they, what they wanted. Um, whether they go with somebody your industry or not, like you can't, that has nothing to do with you. That's just a dictation of how they're focused, but they were going for the person. Uh, number one, two, most people, I don't believe after 12 years, again, the imposter syndrome piece, like after 12 years, that's not enough experience. Most people have 30 or 40 years before they get into like the top of an organization and, and puke. It's just clearly not true. Um, and then to just the humor of the whole thing. And <laughs> it's amazing. The recruiter, I'm going to meet this recruiter one day, but um, so what, what from that, I mean, do you actively think about that and they selected me to be me? And how do I be me in this role that you're in now? I think that I went into it, first of all, feeling really confident because I know that they they chose me like for what I am. And they were really, I mean, board members reaching out to me, just like so impressed with um, my vision and my thoughts on the organization. Um, so I felt, I felt really confident. And what's interesting is like, I was doubting myself. And then as soon as I got offered the job, I knew I was ready. Like there were, there's still little bits and pieces. I mean, I wasn't working really heavily in human resources. Um, so I'm still like every day navigating like 401k trans, like, you know, there's still stuff that comes around and I'm like, I don't know how to do that. Um, you figure it out though. But, um, when I come to that organization, I was really fortunate because I spent 12 years in experience and I worked my way up through an organization. I had my hands in so many things. I was doing marketing. I was at one point working with students. I would work with the foundation. I would work with advocacy, all in little bits and pieces. But I learned how to use like InDesign because sometimes I would be working with the design team. The other day, I had to like pull together something through InDesign. Like I knew how to do it just because I had worked in it randomly before. But it's all those little bits and pieces that I brought along the way that I was like, I got this. I can do all of these things and I'm ready to like transform this organization. And they really did need like transformation. I mean, COVID was a weird time for medical world. So um, it's just been really cool to be able to find some confidence in myself. And it, it wasn't that I lacked it before. It's just that I ever never thought that I, because of the tr- the way I thought my career was going to go, I just never thought that I would be immediately in executive director role within like a year and a half after accepting that very first big promotion. Well, 
First, congratulations. That is awesome. I love that story again. If you were really using InDesign recently, like that's also an interesting piece of the puzzle because we talked about just how many different hats and facets that association staff and leaders have to do. Like you'd think, well, why is Sarah doing InDesign? Like certainly there's another, you know, person on staff who could do that. But that's just not, unfortunately not how it works out in really small businesses as we talked about. But, um, and yeah, that, that can lead to some things that we talked about, like there's just pressures and anxieties and, and burnout's real too, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I'm living it because I have a young family. So I am, and, a bit, and my husband has obviously a great, he has a great crew too. Like, so we're just in it. We always are like, you know, he was just traveling. He's been away for work for the week. So I'm juggling, you know, prepping for a big board meeting next week. And we have our organization still has a house of delegates, which is like a really big deal. And to your point, like when I was at the in, the uh, CPA association, we had a staff of 50. We had a whole marketing department. I had a whole advocacy team. We had a whole events team. I mean, I have five staff right now and one of them is part-time. Um, and the rest, you know, we all, we wear every hat and I still wear every hat and I have to be fully like ready at any moment to print name badges or clean up after a meeting. Like there's no, the ego's out the door. Like I'm not, I'm not the executive director and like high and mighty. I am like, if anything, leading by example, by like being willing to do anything and everything to get things done. Um, but I also think that like, it continues to prepare me for things <laughs> like all of a sudden one day having to jump into InDesign and like design a, a publication that goes out to our whole membership. And, um, I was just ready for it. Oh, did it. You just do it. You just do it. You don't really have a choice. <laughs> Sometimes, yeah. There's nobody else. Sometimes you just roll up the proverbial sleeves and, and stuff the envelopes or whatever right. it is, right. Get ready for the show, but get ready for the event. Like, it's exhausting. And I think, I think burnout is real in like, I mean, I could talk about it from the medical society standpoint, but um, so many organizations are facing that and, and people and professions. Um, and I would say associations are continuously asked to do more things with less people, less staff, less money. Um, and it may not even be that it's more than it used to be, but the resources are less. So whether it's staff or money or, you know, people working from home instead of working at the office or less, you know, even like young staff, new yeah. staff, a lot of people left the associ association industry during the COVID pandemic. So, um, you know, you're bringing in this whole group of people who are now just starting to learn about nonprofit management and association management. And um, it takes a while. <laughs> it does. Um, well, tell us a little bit, speaking of burnout, you all are putting together programs for your members around mental health and sort of the equivalent burnout maybe, um, but very industry specific. And you're doing that with a staff of five, which is impressive, but it's meaningful enough. But tell us a little bit about what you're doing there and kind of the thought process. So, you know, our organization does a lot of different things on a county level. Um, in Pittsburgh, we have two really big hospital systems and then a couple of like smaller hospital systems and then independent doctors. So a pretty a pretty broad range, but honestly, most of the physicians work in the two big hospital systems. Um, and certainly, I think we all know that the healthcare system is stressed. I mean, if you you don't know that, you're living under a rock. Um, 
there's nursing strikes everywhere and the staffing shortage is impacting every level of healthcare. Um, and at the end of the day, it trickles all the way up to physicians. Um, you know, they are feeling the pressure of having to take care of patients and, and that's the oath they took. Um, and that is, you know, their innate personality is to take care of their patients. So it doesn't matter how, how much staffing shortages there are, if they don't have the equipment they need or whatever, they're going to take care of their patients but almost to a huge detriment to their mental health. Um, same thing as all of us. We have families, we have hobbies, we have, you know, cats, dogs, things we like to do. Um, they, they have had to sacrifice a lot to continue to take care of their patients. Um, but the other issue is, is that finding help for these physicians where they can find an outlet to talk about mental health or where they can talk about ways to deal with the stress that they're facing. Um, it's really tough because there are programs that play in place at their hospital systems, but a lot of times they're very hesitant to go to those programs because they do not want it to impact their career, even though it's like supposed to be anonymous. Um, you know, they're always worried that maybe that's not their skepticism there about like, would I have my license revoked or would they put me on administrative leave or something? So we are working with an organization, the Physicians Foundation, which is a national organization. Um, they just gave us $10,000 to start working on a wellness program. And our medical society, alongside many others in the country, will be putting together a local program where physicians can kind of come to that neutral space, which is the medical society, where they're not like Dr. James from UPMC. They are just Dr. James who just needs to talk to somebody because he's had a really rough couple of months. Um, and so we're working on putting that together and that's kind of one of our big initiatives, but it, it really all stemmed from, um, you know, a big thing we do in September is a lot of awareness around physician suicide. Um, it's, it's something that is not talked about probably as much as it should be, but we do a huge social campaign in Allegheny County about that. We get local businesses involved. Um, some of it is creating awareness around physician suicide awareness, which is like a dark side of it. But our goal is to try to find like solutions to it. So we get local businesses to donate things like spa packages or nights out with your family or fitness memberships so that they can find those little ways, even if it's like one night out with your spouse, like that can make such a difference in just your, your happiness level. Um, and it just continues to snowball. We've got great press around it. Um, the local community has been really engaged. Um, and so it, it was very easy for us to make this next step into creating an actual program that would continue to evolve this September campaign into something a little bit more, more permanent and more meaningful, um, to our association. Yeah, it's so, it's such a relevant topic, uh, especially right now through everything that physicians have gone through in the past few years. Uh, I think the stigma is still there. Unfortunately, there's still, there's not been the complete lift of like, it's okay. And you should go speak with a mental health physician regularly, even if it's just a check in. Like we had some friends years ago, we were in like a small group of couples and type of thing. And one of them would actively stand up and talk about how great it was that they would have marriage counseling date night. And so they would go and they would sit with a physician and they'd talk about their marriage for 45 minutes to an hour. And then they'd go out to dinner and then they'd have the rest of the date. But it was sort of a nice cadence of, hey, I'm coupling something that's really fun with something that's just a check-in. And the idea was, 
Well, we prepare to be physicians, we prepare to be CPAs, but we don't prepare for other things like we don't train our minds and our mental health. We don't, you know, we don't train for marriage and that type of thing. So we kind of put it in the same vein where, um, mm -hmm. you know, there's got to be other things to sort of couple that that I don't think have happened to release that stigma. It's very real. And also, I imagine, like anywhere else, there's an element of, well, I don't want my my employer to find out that I'm having these because that may be some signal of relief or something like that. Yeah. And I think also it's just, you don't know what you don't know until you're in it. I mean, I, I didn't have kids until 80 years ago and you know, you don't know what it's like to have kids until you have kids. <laughs> so like true. you may not think that you're going to be like burned out by that experience and it changes every year. Like my daughter's getting more involved in sports and like, so now we have that layer of like, if one of us is traveling, trying to figure out like how we get her to a sport or like how we do all the activities that she has to do, how we get her to school, how we get her on the bus in the morning. Like it's just all these like extra to-do list items that, and then once they're out of the house, then you have to figure out how to like readjust to that and be worried about them in different ways. And I don't know, that's just, it's a constant way of like leaning into the next phase of your life and needing support. And you don't know it until you're there. Um, and I don't think anybody knew what we were going to feel like during COVID. <laughs> Like none of us were prepared for that whole situation, especially physicians. Um, and I think for them, like, oh man, the absorption of like constant trauma for them. Like I, I was speaking with another podcast a couple weeks ago about, can you imagine like that so many of them were the last person that so many patients saw before they died because they couldn't see their, and like over and over again, they're absorbing that emotional burden and they're trained for it. But like, it's a lot it's a lot to continuously have to be in that place. Yeah. I mean, it, it takes, they have a little bit of training that they're seeing patients and then all of a sudden let's just quadruple or more the volume. It's probably more than that. I, you would know oh better gosh, than me, but crazy. like, yeah, just suddenly being overrun with such trauma, uh, mm -hmm. the support they need and is incredible, but I want to take us kind of a, a right turn because we talked about support and okay. we talked before the show, you had some great support from your mom or maybe an example of somebody who was in the workforce growing up that was uh, a workforce mom, not a stay-at-home mom. And then you talked about your leader at your previous employer, the woman that you looked up to, and then you had a woman recruiter. You have just this sort of trend of being really either mm -hmm. prophetically or intentionally next to these like really powerful women. And we talked about the same trend is happening in association. So I, I kind of want to open yeah. that conversation up and, you know, what are your thoughts? How do we get there? It's been 15 years. Let's just go back that far. And it's trained drastically. How did it stem? How did, how did the snowball of this within associations begin? And how do we continue to accelerate that? Cause I think it's still just getting started, right? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, I, when I started at the Institute of CPAs, in 2010, um, it was, I remember going to like one of my very first national meetings and it was all male CEOs, um, probably in their like late, you know, early, early sixties, all with like the buzz that like, so-and-so is retiring in a couple of years. So-and-so is retiring a couple of years. Um, and at that point it was, it was legitimately all male, but 80% of the attendees at that conference were female 
mid-managers, administrators, people who had been working for associations in for a really long time. Um, and as the workforce started to turn over, so these male CEOs who had been in their roles for 30, 40 years were leaving, um, you know, we were right at that, like, really, like, that time period where it was the Me Too movement. And there's like a lot of like all of this stuff happening about like equal pay. The women's soccer team was like going hard at like equal pay. And I think there's just that like huge moment of like women are it and like give them the give them the shot. And I, you know, over the course of five years, when all of these people started retiring, it was like female, female. Like it was just nonstop female being the one that was taking the place of the male CEO and it happened. It happened at my organization as well. The COO became the CEO. She was ready for it. Um, but when we think about the pipeline and like why that's happening, I mean, it's certainly there's the external factors, but I, you know, think one of the other layers is that women are a lot more happy to stay in a job in my opinion, because like it's stability and like, I don't find myself to be a career jumper. It causes me a lot of anxiety to move and change because especially now that I have kids and not knowing what the flexibility will be like. Um, so I think when I worked at my last job, the people who I'd worked with had been there for 10, 15, 20 years. They were all lifers. We call ourselves lifers. Um, but when they were starting to look to fill those roles, a lot of the people that were in those middle management or vice president roles were females because that was just the nature of like, promoting well from within and um, they were ready. I mean, they were there, they were in the wings and a lot of them were like the number two and were comfortable being number two, but were ready to be number one. And there they were. And so I think you're seeing that in a lot of just association worlds where the women are jumping into that role. There's still a lot, you know, not to say that every executive director has to be a female, but um, I do think that females bring a lot to the association world. So you just kind of like naturally stepped into my next question, which would be what what are those attributes that female executive staff bring that is an advantage? Um, you know, I think if we just are talking like super high level and obviously this is like not like to like pigeonhole. I'm not saying like no male can like have empathy or like a female can't be like, you know, whatever. I'm just saying that in general, I feel like women, women are super for the ways that we're emotional, that people could say is a bad thing. It's also such a strength because we bring that emotional component to nonprofit management. And a lot of nonprofits are doing work for either organizations or groups of people who are facing hardship. Um, so we have this layer of us that just is a natural caretaker. It's that motherly instinct. It's the maternal instinct. Um, and I think that that lends itself really well to the nonprofit space um, and even to the you know trade space, because we want to take care of people and we want to see them you know, do the best that they can and see the greater good. Um, but also just, you know, super organized and like our ability to like really see strategically different things. I'll just give you like a really quick example from, from my current association. I also run our foundation arm. So I'm the executive director of the medical society, but I also am the executive director of the foundation. And um, during the, the formula shortage, I was also um, formula feeding my son. I ran out of formula and I didn't even know this was like happening all around the same time, like hearing that people in Pittsburgh like couldn't find formula uh, instantly, like that made me so heartbroken to like 
think of babies not having food, right? But then I'm in this place in time where I'm just like the executive director of this foundation that has a really great endowment. I get this opportunity just like put in my lap to get formula that we can distribute to nonprofits, a lot of formula. They have the money, the board approved it immediately and we did it. And it was done in like two weeks. And it's not to say that the executive director before me or the one before him wouldn't have done that. I don't know. But I do know that because I am a mom and I was in that same situation and I do have the empathy and like the maternal instinct around what it feels like to know that your baby might not have food, like that instantly pushed me to get this done. And I could probably think of a hundred different examples of like micro pieces of that in the world I live in. But I just think that it's been, it's been helpful to have some female perspective in the space that nonprofits are. And so that only makes sense. Like why not empower somebody whose natural ability is to retain, attract, right? Care for ones, actually understand and communicate why this is of, of value in that sense. Yeah. And I'm just excited. I think that um, the more conferences I go to and I'm seeing so many more female leaders. And I think the other side of it is that I am loving the support that we get from our male like counterparts or superiors. I had, you know, my last job, I had a great CEO who took me along for the ride. Like if he felt like someone was not giving me the opportunity to speak because I was a female or because I was like younger, he spoke up and he would say, no, like Sarah's going to give this presentation. Sarah's going to answer the questions. She's the person running this program. Um, and he gave me a lot of confidence and I really appreciated that. And the executive director of the association that I work for now, the one who was there for 40 years, he meets me for coffee like once a quarter. And he just likes to like, He's not doing it to tell me how to do my job. He's wanting to like hear how I'm doing things differently so that he can almost say like, wow, I'm so impressed. And I'm, I'm so grateful that you are like doing the things you're doing. And I just love the support from, from men because they are also like in a place where we're taking some of their jobs, <laughs> but they're okay with it because they know that like, it's the right, it's the right fit. Absolutely. I mean, I, I think the industry, I mean, you could say, I mean, 10 years ago when we talked about when it's like very different landscape at the top, there was also at the same time books being written and articles being written about, oh, the end of associations, like these may not last, like correlation or causation, things have changed for the better, I would say, for associations. And there's a parallel line with the increase in female involvement at the, at the, at the very top, um, even at ASAE. And I think a lot of folks look to that as, um, you know, something to champion. This is a, a leader in our industry. It leads technically the industry of association executives at the top. And I think there's a lot of others that we can point to that continue to sort of carry that torch through the industry. And, and in turn, I like to think that it also breeds down into the organizations that I'll say you lead, for example. Yeah, it does. I think, um, you know, just for your, you know, where I sit, I have an all female staff, like I hired all women. And I, I, I took a lot of priority in like some of my part time positions, or, you know, like, newer positions that were created, bringing in, like moms who are coming back into the workforce, because I know how hard it can be. Um, 
you know, I worked throughout my pregnancies and throughout my maternity leaves and, you know, but if you leave the workforce, man, it can be tough to get back in. Um, so like I gave, you know, jobs to people who are amazing, awesome employees. They just needed like an entry point to come back in and, um, they're going to change, they're going to change the world with the work they're doing, but it's just like someone had to give them a chance. And I think someone who lived that experience is, is really suited to, to know that that's okay to do. It can be, you know, a risk, but I was ready to do it. You know, somebody had told me at this point, I know now wrongly when I was venturing out on my own at one point that, hey, surround yourself with people that are just like you because that will be the ticket to. So I was like, okay, at the time, young guys, super hungry, former athletes. I'll say former, I'll say it. Former athletes that are just like, and I, and I kind of did it a little bit. I started to do it and then it felt like a frat house. And I was like, nah, this isn't going to work. Like mm-hmm. maybe I go completely the other direction. So I try to go the other direction. Like, no, this had challenges too. And so I personally have taken a philosophy, like the male, female diversity in the organizations for me, I found to be healthy. Um, is that, is that an element you found? Like, is that, is that working well though for you? It sounds like it is. Well, it works out well where I am right now. Um, in my last role, I hired and created a whole new department for the virtual like event space. We, you know, obviously everybody was like, how do we even run all these events virtually? Every person I hired for that department was male. Uh, and it was, you know, it, it was not necessarily because like, it was just, they were the best fit. I mean, they were the best fit for that job. Um, they were the most trained and that was like, the, the lane that like there was more males in the technology side of that thing. Um, but they fit so good with my team. I mean, it was such a good dynamic and it was a big team. So it made, it made a difference. I had 10 team members. So I think having, you know, a little bit of male energy and then like the, the female energy it was perfect. It was so fun. They were so sweet. They loved each other. They still, a lot of them, the, that whole group of guys still work there. Um, and we, we fortunately contract out some of our work at the medical society. So a couple of our contractors are males and they're really fun to work with. So I do appreciate like, it's not that I don't like like working with males. It's just, it worked out really well that I have this really good team and they're all at different state. We're all at different like stages of our lives. So I think we're also like, while we are not diverse in gender, <laughs> we are diverse in like where we are in space and time. So it's helpful to have like, a little community that I think we all rely on and, and we really trust each other, which is really nice. Well, that's huge. And that, that could be our whole second podcast maybe. And I know, as you mentioned with your last organization, breaking up is hard. And I unfortunately get the task of breaking us up today, which I hate to do, but I know (laughs) we, we could do it again. I'm ready. Um, But as we do at the end of all of our episodes, I would love to hear from uh, you, Sarah, on somebody else you think that our audience would benefit from hearing from. Yeah, I I really think it would be fun for you to talk to Michelle, who was the recruiter who recruited me for my job at the Medical Society. Um, she's a, a very specific nonprofit recruiter in Western Pennsylvania. So her role is it's her own company, woman owned company, um, and her job is to recruit for it's nonprofit talent. And um, she's really well respected. But I would say um, she when I talk about girl power, she's like the leader of the girl power. 
And I was joking with you earlier, like she, I wish she was, I could call her my mentor, but like everybody she's hired probably is like, Michelle's my mentor because she really is just, she brings you along. She still checks in on me. Um, you know, if I need something, she's the first person to like help me out. But I think she would bring a lot of really cool stories to you. I mean, if I'm one story, she has 150 million stories of like association management and how she's seen the change in that world over the last 10, 15 years, because she's, she's seeing it every day. I mean, it seems like a perfect fit for the show. I know folks that are feeling the same things that we talked about today, imposter syndrome, difficult to, to change and break up and move on. And, um, she probably has all the examples of how this works out and, and how others mm -hmm. can empower themselves to do this and look for what it is that fuels them and, and yeah. maybe some tips and tricks on. I was going to say, ready. I even think like the resume, like she yeah. posts on LinkedIn sometimes, like what to put on your resume, what to leave out. I think um, the new resume world, she would be great to, to offer some guidance there too. So I'll definitely shoot you her contact info. That'd be great. Thank you, Sarah. And thank you for the time. This was great. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I very much appreciate it. It's always nice to talk about something a little different. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks.